So do you ever get that feeling when you're up against it? Yeah, I've had one of those weeks. So uh, it's great to be here and to, to declare truth to one another. Mark asked the question last week, why do we come to church? And for me, that's one of the reasons is because when we do come to church, we're standing with the people of God. We lend faith to each other, don't we? Faith in Jesus and we declare truth. And it reminds us, actually, there is a roaring lion who's out to make me feel weak and powerless, which is not the truth. Culture, I think a lot about culture. Culture is very strong. It frames our lives. And so, um, you know, one of the, being in Christ means that we can be free of so much pressure, but that doesn't mean we still don't experience it. And so this whole series, I'm really excited about it because it's actually going to help us to think about what does it mean to stand as a follower of Jesus? in a world where culture is constantly pressing on us and trying to squeeze us into a mould that God has not designed for us. We're meant to be free people. So if you've had a week, I hope that by the time you leave today, you'll feel, I don't know, robust from the inside out. Your soul will feel built up. Now, if you're part of the Elevate family, you'll know that we teach in uh, patterns. And so we have just recently finished a series, Mark finished two weeks ago, talking about functional faith. And then last week, he did a bridging message, which he asked the question, um, the question that changes everything. And a part of that message, he had this great illustration of uh, being in a swimming pool. You have lane one where, you know, the beginning people start and then lane two when you're a little bit better and then lane three where all the competent swimmers. Who remembers that? That illustration, has that stuck with you all week? It has stuck with me and that's, you know, been really giving me a workout thinking about that actually. There's a lot in that. Now, analogies have some limits, but it's a really powerful limit. And it helps to think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, you start off and you learn some things here and then you move to the next stage and then, and then you become to a place of, of maturity. So it's a really great picture of maturity, of start to where you, you want to be in Christ. But here's some other things that I've thought about. Um, you're not meant to stay in lane one very long. That's not the intention. You start, and it's important that we learn some basic things about who God is and how He wants us to live. But actually, the idea is that very quickly you move from lane one into lane two and into lane three. Because in Christ, you, be, you know, the idea is to be mature. And you don't have to do this on your own. Because what you get when you move into lane one, when you open your life and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, you get Jesus Christ as Lord. And all the way through, you're not on your own. So you don't have to do this in your own energy. One of the things I've observed, and I'm thinking about this influence of culture and how hard it is to be a Christian in the world, is that sometimes, let's say more often than not, Christians get stuck in lane one or lane two. So you might pose some great questions. In lane one, you're asking questions like, who is God? What can God do? They're great questions. We all need to know those and, and have an answer for those. In lane two, you're asking, so what can God do for me? And that's an important part. But in lane three, you start asking the question, so but what can God do through me? And that's the maturity. If you get stuck in lane one or lane two, what can God do and what can God do for me? I think what happens is you become a bit religious. <laughs> Now, thanks. Now, that's really important when we're talking about what it means to take a stand as a follower of Jesus, because if you become religious, 
and it's all about rules and structures, it's not actually freedom. Lane three, living in Jesus, is about relationship. You know, as people of God, Christianity is not a religion. It's not how it's meant to be lived. When we're in Christ and we're made, we're a new creation, new things happen to us and in us. We're different people. And we're in a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. This is the lane in which we swim. We're all swimming in lane three. So if you're feeling a bit stuck, just have a think about it. Are you following a religion or are you in a relationship with God? God is with us no matter what. If you're in lane one and two and you're in this religious place, you'll be trying to think about what are the rules coming from that approach. If you're here, you're going, you're asking a different question. Who's with me? God is with me. God is always with me. Nothing can hold you down when you're swimming in lane three. Unlike the culture of the world, which is always pressing in on us. In Romans 12, 2, Paul writes this, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. You get that? God helping you. Paul's saying, here's what I want you to do. There are things that we need to do, but it's not on our own. It's God helping us. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Oh, that feels so good. Just breathe. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Just take it. Jesus has given us life. Just take it. I'm preaching to myself now. (laughs) Just take it. (laughs) Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. That's why we need to declare truth to one another and remind ourselves. If you've been binging on Netflix too much, you might need a a truth update, declare some other things. It's amazing um, how much what you're reading, what you're thinking, what you're seeing can start shaping your thinking. And you can just, you know, one degree off course and it'll take you a mile away. So I'm not saying don't watch Netflix, by the way. But, you know, to what extent are you doing that and and not keeping your eyes fixed on God? But don't don't make that into a guilt trip, by the way. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what He wants from you around you. uh, uh, Readily recognise what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. It's a great way to start a message, isn't it? So we're going to talk about Daniel. Let me give you some backstory to, to the book of Daniel. It's a prophetic book. It's in the Old Testament. And, um, and we're going to hear about a story about Daniel who was taken into captivity. Now, before that happened, there were um, God had, had um, created the world sin had entered the world and from that, 
from that point on, we've got a problem because people are separated from God. And so the whole story from, from Genesis to Revelation is a story about God wanting to be redeemed, wanting to reconcile people back to Himself. He wants us. And so one of the things that happens in the Old Testament is God selects a people and says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And the whole purpose of that was so the whole world could see that God is real, that God is still present, that God is still active. He didn't create everybody and then run away and let us all figure it all out. He's still very present. And so he demonstrated that by setting up his own people and saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. And they were to be a visible representation to the whole world that God is real. They were meant to live that way. And it started off okay, but then over hundreds of years, they got distracted one degree off course. And within about six, seven hundred years, they're no longer God's people. They're fragmented. They've been conformed into the world. They're not looking to God for their cues. They're actually looking to whoever else is around them. Oh, look, they've got some interesting gods over there. Let's go and choose those. Let's go and follow this one over here. Let's incorporate a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And they, become hot, they became something else. And so what happened was they went from being a, um, a group of people who were glorious. There was a point of time in which this group of people were just glorious. They were the world's leaders. They were blessed to be a blessing, to coming to being a weak and feeble kind of ragtag bunch of people and they were ripe for the picking. Now, there are consequences. You know, is God a mean, vindictive vindictive God? No, he's not. But there are consequences to the choices that we make when we get distracted and we stop getting our cues, stop fixing our eyes on God and start fixing our eyes on other things, we become weak and fragmented. A target, it's easy to take down a target when it's weak, which is what happens. So the Babylonians come along, King Nebuchadnezzar, and his whole strategy is crush, kill and destroy. This is a, you know, if you're thinking in a corporate sense, he's like a massive corporate raider. And what do you do? You go in and you strip out all the assets and you take everything you can and you just leave a wasteland and you carry off all the riches back to your own little palace and you've got a big booty there. Actually, it's, it's way more devastating than that. If you, you know, we, we get to see pictures on our TVs of um, Syria and places like that. Just put your mind there for a moment. Can you imagine that everything you've ever known is just ripped away from you? You know, like total, we're talking total devastation. This was Daniel's experience. He, he, everything he knew... Uh, was actually, you know, was absolutely obliterated and he was carted off to live in a foreign country, in a foreign place. And in chapter one, where we first meet Daniel and his friends, he's probably only around about 14. Between 12 and 16, so I'm picking 14 because I think that's, let's go for the average. He was probably a 14-year-old. Can you imagine how bewildering it would have been to have been taken away from your homeland? There was a period of siege, so already, you know, things were tough. And then to be carted off and, um, and into a different country, completely cut off from everything that you have ever known and your 14-year-old boy. How disorienting is that? And that's where we meet Daniel. In chapter one, and now he's, he finds himself in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the question we want to focus on this morning is, will Daniel stand or will Daniel cave in? Because he's about to experience some immense pressure. Will, da- will Daniel stand or will he cave in? 
So let's read uh, in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, what happens next. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought into Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service." So these young men, these handsome, young, gifted men were part of, the, part of the assets. You know, I'm going to take them in, I'm going to make them mine own. And so to do that, um, I've called this part, you know, what's the recipe to make a Babylonian? <laughs> so what's the recipe to make a Babylonian? Well, first of all, what happens after this verse is that the first thing um, King Nebuchadnezzar does and he says to Ashpenaz is, you're going to change their names. It was Daniel and he has three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, as they became. But what happens is Nebuchadnezzar says, let's change your name. So instead of being Daniel, you're going to be called Belteshazzar. And then he says to, uh, his, 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 um, to Ashpenaz, and not only am I going to change their names, but we're going to educate them in the way of Babylonian we're going, to, we're going to change the way they think. We're going to show them how to think. We're going to tell them how to act as a Babylonian. We're going to make them into a Babylonian through educating. And then the third thing, the third part of the recipe to make a Babylonian is that you give them food. Make them eat our food. So will they, so they've got three strategies. You change the name, you educate them, and you give them food. So the question then becomes, will they stand or will they cave? Let me go back to the name change. No, let me, let me go back. Uh, I wrote this down. It's pretty good. Uh, it's a foolproof recipe, but it's not God-proof. Do you like that? That's good. Good. Okay. Backstory. So um, let me go back to my notes. So here's Daniel and his three friends. Now, despite the majority of people having in back in Judah, despite most of them having walked away from God, there is always a remnant of people who stand firm, always. What um, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know was that Daniel actually had been educated by people who knew how to stand. So despite the fact that back in Judah, everything was falling apart, they were under siege, they knew, some people knew because they'd been listening to God's voice through the prophets, that their whole country was going to be destroyed and they were going to be taken off into exile. And biblical scholars believe that Daniel actually knew that. He had listened to people who were teaching him. Because if if you were a boy of Judah and you were being educated and trained, you were educated in the ways of God, then then that was not unexpected news. They knew what was coming. And so Daniel knew about God and he knew that that they're probably going to be taken off into exile. And so he had been prepared for what was going to happen. There's a verse, um, there's Daniel 11, 32. It's probably my life verse, I think. It says this, He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. 
but the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. These are words spoken by Daniel, written by Daniel later in life, but I think that he knew this as a child. The people who know their God will be strong, he's declaring truth, and will resist the enemy. Maybe some of you need to take this today. and let me, let me give you my life first. The people who know their God will be strong and will resist the enemy. If you're feeling weak in your faith, if you feel like, oh, I'm still sleeping in lane one or maybe I'm just getting to, you can be in lane three today because the people who know their God will be strong and will resist the enemy. So here's Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar wants to change his name. Will he stand or will he cave? Daniel doesn't fight the name change. How interesting. Why doesn't Daniel fight the name change? Does this mean that he's caved in? Because he said, okay, test number one. I'm no longer going to be called Daniel. I'm going to be called Belteshazzar. Why Why did he let that happen? Why didn't he fight that one? Here's why. Because Daniel knew that only God has the authority to name him. The king has authority to, name, to rename Daniel because he's very powerful and Daniel is in his country. And so, you know, you, um, as parents, we have authority to name our children. The king has authority to call you whatever he wants. But internally, D- Daniel was very clear about who had ultimate authority over his life. God has ultimate authority over his life. So it doesn't matter what the king calls him. The most important thing is he knew who God, what God called him. And he was Daniel, and he was going to stand for God, even if his name got changed to Belteshazzar. He was still Daniel. It's really interesting in the book of Daniel, he's more often referred to as Daniel than Belteshazzar. His three friends actually keep getting called by their Babylonian names, but Daniel is able to retain his identity as a person who stands for God. What kind of names do you get called? Do people call you things? Do people say things about you? Do they have authority to say the things they say about you? Maybe this week it's time to stand in your name. Who does God say that you are? What is your name? Maybe there are names that you call yourself. I'm not good enough, that's a name. I'm not strong enough, that's a name. I don't know enough, that's a name. If we're calling ourselves those names, do we have authority to do that? Yes, we do. But who's our ultimate authority? Who does God say that you are? Who does God say that I am? He says, I am holy and dearly loved. He says, I am a new creation. That's the one I'm telling myself at the moment. You are a new creation. When I get upset with myself because I keep defaulting back into behaviours that are not honouring to God, I've got to remind myself, hang on a minute, I'm a new creation. So I don't stand here in guilt and think, oh, I've blown it again. My name is I am a new creation. I stand here, I am a new creation. That weakens the power of that. If you stay here in guilt, that thing will have power over you forever and ever. If you stand here and you say, I am a new creation, the power goes. I am a new creation, I'm standing in God. 
So did he stand or did he cave? He he was able to stand in that. He didn't have to compromise. It was okay for the king to call him whatever he wanted, but Daniel internally knew exactly who he was. I am Daniel, I am a person of God and I will stand in my name. It doesn't matter what other people say about me. The second thing, the second test was education. Will they stand or will they cave? Would they hold out and go, no, we're not going to learn what you want to teach us because we know that you are evil people. You worship, you worship things that are not God. You're, a, you're a horrible people. You go around killing everybody else and you know, taking over the whole world. Why would we want to be a part of you? Why would I want to work for you? Daniel could have quite easily have said that, but he doesn't. He actually submits to the king and he learns the way of the Babylonians. Why did he do that? Why didn't he fight that? Does that mean he caved in that he didn't stand up and say, no, I'm going I'm to stand and be God's person? Somehow or other, he knew that it was okay for him to learn the way of the Babylonians. And here's why. Remember when I said that back in, Babylon, back in Judah, he'd been educated by people who knew how to stand? It's because he wasn't caught off, off guard. It's because he knew enough to know that the, that the prophets had been speaking. If you read Jeremiah, he would have known of the words of Jeremiah. Maybe Jeremiah was his teacher, I don't know. But he knew enough to know that God actually said, when you get into exile, here's what I want you to do. When you get into exile, did I have this on PowerPoint? Sodwa? Yeah, I did. Here we go. Look, Jeremiah, build houses. Make yourselves at home. See, God's never caught off guard. If, doesn't, you know, Mark's been saying lately, you know, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. This is another one of these cases where it is what it is. You've been taken off into exile. It's terrible, a traumatic, a major trauma has happened to you. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. God was prepared for this and so can you be. So build houses and make yourselves at home. Put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you will thrive in that country and not waste away. Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. God's way smarter than isn't he smart? Like I would have been rebelling and going, no, no, no. And God's going, no, it's my purpose that you get carried off into captivity for a period of time. 70 years, you're going to be carried off here. While you're there, make the most of it. And this gets back to this whole picture of why does God create a people? And why do we need to stand as people of God? Because we need to be a visible sign that God is real that he's not walked off and left this world to its own devices to just deteriorate. Can you imagine what the world would be like if there were no people who were followers of God? You rip, you rip God's people out of a place and it, it goes bad really quickly. I mean, we think it goes bad anyway, but can you imagine if you take the people of God away? See, our faith is, this is the difference between lane one and two swimming and lane three. Our faith is meant to be portable. If you're stuck here in religion, you don't tend to move. But if you're in lane three swimming, you've got amazing freedom because your faith goes wherever you go. Wherever you work tomorrow, you are like the presence of God wherever you work. In your home, you are the presence of God wherever you are. When you go to the shops, you carry the presence of God. 
I often drive down, I drive down the freeway twice a day and I go down the freeway and I, and I think, well, because I'm on the freeway, the presence of God is in the freeway. And I think about the people, all the people around me in cars. And I start praying for those people in cars, thinking, what must your life be like? God bless you today. May God reveal himself to you today. Because that may be the only time that person gets prayed for. How cool is that? This is lane three living, wherever you are. If, the, if this city prospers, we all prosper. If you are in a job that's really crappy and you hate it, the presence of God is with you. Maybe you're there. Maybe it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Ooh. You know, maybe you're there because, because God needs you to be there. It's a different perspective. It's like it gets our eyes off the circumstance and, you know, back onto God. Because if you keep your eyes in the circumstance, what happens? You get squeezed into that really awful place instead of this freedom. We're meant to be living in freedom. Third test, the food. This is the one I love the most. I love food. <laughs> if you want to manipulate someone, just give them food. Hey. <laughs> It's such a clever strategy. All you people who come to my house for, lunch, for dinner now, you're going to think that I've been manipulating you. Yep, pretty much. Um, can you imagine, so if you've come from, again, you've, you, know, you think of Syria, you think people there are starving and hungry. I don't know if you've ever been to a country where people are starving and hungry. It's, it's awful. I went to Haiti a few years ago and I was really distressed last night. I haven't been watching the news to hear that Haiti have been hit again to meet with people who have absolutely nothing. You know, another reason to be thankful that we live here. But this is like Daniel. If you can put, you know, if you can just imagine this 14-year-old boy in a land where there is no food. Before he was carted off into captivity, Judah was under siege. So um, even before he left, food was an issue. So you imagine, he's a 14-year-old boy. He goes from absolutely nothing into the palace of the most powerful king in the whole world, King Nebuchadnezzar, and there is food everywhere. Talk about landing on your feet. Will you stand or will you cave? Pretty hard to stand when there's all this food in front of you, hey? Oh, my goodness. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do what the king asked you to do? when you've got all this stuff in front of you. Interestingly, this is the one that Daniel says, I'm not going to eat what the king gives to me. Not what I expect, not what you expect, is it? You know, if the king wants to change my name, you think, well, yeah, you'd fight that one because that's about your identity. Or if the king wants to change my mind, no, that's about my mind. I can't let him get into my mind. You, you might want to fight that one. But food, you think, why did Daniel fight the food thing? Here's what I think, and not just me, but I've done some, there's a whole lot of biblical scholars behind this. I don't actually think the issue was because the food that the king wanted them to eat was sacrificed to idols. I think that's part of the reason why Daniel resisted the food thing. But it's not the whole thing. Remember God said, you've got to prosper. I want you to prosper in the land. Eat what they eat and all that kind of stuff. But why is it that Daniel says, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to eat the food that the king puts in front of me, um, not the meat and the meat and wine. I'm going to eat vegetables instead. 
Now, if Mark Pomery was here, he'd say, you know, what's with that? This is paleo. Why wouldn't you eat it, right? <laughs> Red meat and wine. 14-year-old boys, come on. Why would you get rid of the vegetarian? The sissy food, the vegetarian. Why would you do that? See, I think what Daniel was able to do is because he knew his identity was grounded in God. He knew that his worldview was grounded in God. As a 14-year-old, he had access to the wisdom of God. The real issue was not that that Daniel needed to eat the meat and wine. The real issue was the king really wanted strong, healthy young men. And Daniel was smart enough to go, you know what, I don't have to eat everything that the king dishes up to me. I I can eat the kinds of food that will honour God and still be what the king needs me to be. I don't have to totally eat everything the king dishes up to me. We don't have to eat everything that the world dishes up to us. There are so many expectations that we have around us, aren't there? I'm daily shocked at some of the expectations. I go, where did that come from? What, what do I think I have to live that way? I don't have to live like that. The challenge is we have to be discerning. Is this a case where I stand or in this place? Or is this a case where I stand in this place and say, no, actually, I don't want to do that. And this is where legalism comes in as an issue for the people of God, I think. Because if we're in lane one and we're fairly rigid about things, uh, say, for example, going out for dinner, will you have a glass of wine or won't you? You can stand in a place of legalism and go, well, I'm not just not going to drink because that's just not what the people of God do and it's not honouring and it's terrible. Or you can stand in a place of freedom and go, well, I may have a drink or I may not. God, what do you want me to do in this occasion? It's a very different place, isn't it? It's a place of freedom. Now, we can have opinions and views about the rightness or wrongness of drinking, but if we start beating each other other up about that, I don't think that's honouring to God either. Daniel shows us that it's about being discerning. If my eyes are here, I'm going to make a decision about whether to drink or not based on my opinions and views. But if I'm looking to God and saying, God, what will honour you in this, this occasion? How can I be a blessing to the people I'm having dinner with at this point in time? If that's my focus, drink or not drink, it's a bit, you know? Don't get drunk, obviously. That's not honouring to God, is it? It's like common sense then, without beating each other up with a religion. Daniel realised he didn't have to eat everything the king dished up. Dished up. I think it's about, you know, what, what Daniel was able to see was that about the meat and the wine was about indulgence and it was about greed. It was about luxury. And that's a nice place to live, isn't it? I love watching those, you know, the home shows, you know, the home renovations. Oh, I just love them. Those tiny house things. Oh, I want a tiny house. I want a luxury tiny house. I just, oh, I just love what I could watch that, that show for hours. But at the end of the day, it's about indulgence and greed and luxury. You know, the life that we get to live in Australia, if you think on a global scale, we are so fortunate. 
we get to live like this way because there's a whole lot of other people in the world that are paying for it. You know, I feel like I pay $50 for a bag, but someone in China is probably getting paid 50 cents for that bag. What's the true cost of how we get to live in the luxury? And there's something in this food thing with Daniel that Daniel was able to see that this is a, I can live, you know, I, it's not honouring to God if I live this kind of luxurious, self-indulgent, greedy life. Eating vegetables is about choosing simplicity. Um, it's about loyalty. I'm going to be loyal to God, no matter what. And I can still present to the king what the king wants me to be. I can still pray for the king's prosperity. I can be the person that God wants me to, wants, uh, the king wants me to be and still be the person. At this point, Daniel didn't have to compromise. Now, as we go through this series, we're going to see that there's a point in which Daniel is going to make a choice between what the king wants and what God wants. But at this point in time, Daniel had the wisdom to know he could still stand for God. He was able to understand how to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think that's one of the most challenging questions that we face as followers of Jesus today. What does it mean? Every day I ask myself this question. What does it mean today to be in the world, but not of the world? Because I've got to be able to relate to the people around me but I don't want to be squeezed into the world's mould. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> we get to live freely, you know, like just sort of shake it out. <laughs> so as I finish today, there's three things. I thought it'd be really fun to do a personal audit. Don't you love that? Let's do a personal audit. If you're a follower of Jesus, have a think about your name. How are you thinking about your name? Is there stuff that you've been saying to yourself that you actually need to put off today? The Apostle Paul talks about this one. I love this picture. He talks about putting off and putting on. So are there things about your name that right now, here, right here, right now, you can just sort of take off? I don't, you know, I should not be thinking about myself like that. Should not. That's terrible. Lord, I want to give this to you. I don't want to be thinking about myself in this way, that maybe there are things that people are saying about you. Today, you can put them off. And maybe locate some things that you can, you can declare over yourself that are God's truth for you. You are, I am holy and dearly loved. I am a new creation. My name is, stand in that. And what about where you are in your, in your everyday life, where you work, your family, your house, whatever issues you are. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. So how are you standing in that right now? And what, what can you declare over that today? God, I am here. It's good. And I want to thank you for that. Because when I thank you, it's honouring to God. I thank you for everything that I have. Or maybe it's crappy and it's really tough. And God, I want to thank you for having me here. How can, I, how can I be your presence right here, right now? How can, help me to stand here because my faith is portable. Wherever I am, God is. And if God is for me, who can be against me? <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> And then think about discernment or wisdom, whatever you need to know. 
I don't know, it's a mystery to me how God speaks to people. Um, God speaks to me in pictures and words. But at the end of the day, we have the Word of God. And so there are things in the Word of God that we're going to hang on to. Louis, before we started church this morning, when we were getting ready, she, she helped us and reminded us that it's good to declare things or declare God's truth. You want wisdom. This is why we read the Bible, not because we have to. That's, that's lane one, lane two, you know. That's religion. We read God's Word because it gives us wisdom. It's God talking to us, no matter how you learn, whether God speaks to you in pictures or words or whatever. The words of God are powerful. So the Bible says the Word of God is active and it gives us wisdom. If you need wisdom, that's why you read the Word of God. That's a way better motivation than that one. I fail at that one all the time. I'm going to swim in lane three. <laughs> it's much better to breathe. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today and you're here checking God out, well, I want to say, don't you want to just live in freedom? <laughs> you don't have to live with the things that people call you. You don't have to dish, eat what the world dishes up. There is a place of freedom. And today we want to give you the opportunity to say, wow, I, that swimming thing sounds pretty cool. I, you know, I want to learn how to swim in lane three. And we would love to walk with you as you discover who God is. Because you don't have to be the person that the world says you have to be. We get to, we get to, we get to uh, live in the presence of God, holy and dearly loved. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Daniel. And for what we're going to learn about what it means to stand, to be in the world but not of the world. Father, this week I pray that you would, um, you would help us to focus on our, on, on our name, who we are. Maybe even our parents have not said great things over us as people. But God, you are our Father. And you declare that we are your people and we are holy and dearly loved. And so, Lord, help us to stand in that. And God, I thank you that you, um, we fix our eyes on you, we listen to your word, we read your word, and that helps us to understand that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in this week, we stand in your presence and we are blessed to be a blessing. So, Lord, I pray that by this time next week, we'll all have great stories of how, God, you, you were able to work through us for the benefit of others. It was good for us, but it's also good for others. That's the kind of lives we want to live, Lord. So help us to stand in that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the life you have spoken into us today. I pray that you would magnify that life in us from the inside out. We're being changed. We want to thank you so much. Amen.